What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Lee at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. You're joined by Forrest Walker at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. And we were all supposed to bring Taylor on uh, to talk about his article uh, for Mike D'Antoni and Coach of the Year, but uh, because of my timing and like a whole bunch of scheduling crap, uh, we couldn't bring him on. So we're going to be talking about his article without him. So that should be fun. Uh, yeah, hopefully we uh, don't do him a disservice. <laughs> Alright, so let's get, let's, get, let's, get, let's get the ball rolling. Let's get the ball rolling. Um, the, the first thing that happened this week, Ryan Anderson looks like he's going to be out two weeks. Uh, he missed three games already since that announcement, uh, so should be one more week and he'll be back. I think this is pretty big. Um, and like I've kind of changed my shifting on Ryan Anderson a lot over the past few months. Like when the Rockets originally signed him, I thought it was a bad contract. I thought it was too much for Ryan Anderson. But increasingly, as the season's gone on, like he's starting to become like the Rockets' second most irreplaceable player. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but like the Rockets really value his shooting. Yeah, it's very important to their game plan. Like honestly, him being out there is kind of more important than whatever he's doing out there. Like he is a really credible threat, and he sort of helps create their entire offense by. Uh, they, they just need enough guys to spread out the floor sufficiently, uh, and if they have those threats, then they can do it. But if they don't have those threats, then teams can key in on other parts of their defense and or other parts of their offense, and it kind of comes apart. So yeah, it's definitely looked worse without Ryan Anderson out there. They have gone for long stretches without scoring, like like against the Warriors uh, yesterday, where they. Score, didn't score for seven minutes. I don't think that happens if you have Ryan Anderson out there. Yeah, and like I, I just think like man, you can't close out Sam Decker the same way you do Ryan Anderson, right? And like, no, you sure can't. <laughs> yeah, and that makes such a big difference on the floor spacing. And the Rockets try throwing, uh, rolling at these small ball lineups. And it's effective to some extent. Like Trevor Ariza takes advantage of a lot of slower bigs, and he he like. The reason he's been going off is because uh, he's been able to attack closeouts and whatnot. But I just think overall, as as a unit, I just don't think they're as good. And um, like w- when you have to bring in like like Sam Decker, like Sam Decker, like I think he can be a good player in the NBA. But when he when he's playing major rotation minutes, like no offense to him, but you have a big problem, you know. Yeah, and one of the weird things about Ryan Anderson, which is valuable, is that he has no conscience, which <laughs> is a very important skill. Well, the Rockets need a certain number of guys with no conscience, right? They need certain guys who will just shoot it as soon as the ball's past them. Like when James Harden throws the ball to him, he's going to shoot. If he's three feet behind the, behind the arc, he's going to shoot. If someone's closing in, he's going to shoot. And he's not going to hesitate either. He's going to do it immediately and get a better shot for it. So uh, it's kind of a weird 
irrationally rational decision uh, that keeps other teams honest and also makes the the team a little punchier when there are a few guys who will just shoot in- instantly. Yeah, and like the, that that thing you brought up about him shooting three feet behind the line, that's huge, man. Like nobody else except for Eric Gordon on the roster can do that. And like, um, like when you have to close out like three feet beyond the line, no matter what, because you know that guy is a threat to hit from behind there. Like that's such a huge tool for James Harden with that amount of spacing to work with. Um, and I just don't think anybody on the roster can do that. And like increasingly more and more, like I'm not sure if you feel the same way. Like I feel like he's earning every bit of that twenty million dollars he's getting because, like. The, the stretches he sits out, like, you can just tell the Rockets offense just bogs down like crazy. And I don't think it's a coincidence every single time he's not out. In the same way that when Patrick Beverly's out, the Rockets defense just kind of goes down the drain, right? I feel like the same thing could be said about Ryan Anderson. Yeah, he's definitely earning a contract this year. If he earns it for the next few years, I'll be really impressed. Uh, but, yeah, for now, it's fantastic. And they need to... They need to get him back as soon as possible, which, uh, aka the playoffs, which looks like it's on course to happen. So that's really good for them. Yeah, I'd say the Rockets are going to make the playoffs. I have a feel, I have a good feeling about that. <laughs> well, but he's going to come back right around that time, which is when they need him. So, uh, yeah, that's like if this was a little bit worse of an injury, it'd be a huge issue. As it is, they just kind of are going to have a, or they had a rough stretch, and hopefully that rough stretch is more or less over now that they're only going to play bad teams and the Clippers. Yeah, and uh, fortunately, like, it's been a week now, and, like, he's probably going to come back by the end of next week, and, you know, he can take, he, the Rockets can kind of, kind of afford to take his time with Ryan Anderson, because they're locked into that three seed, even though they lost three games in a row, they're, they're not really a threat to drop, they're not really a threat to go up, it's, it, they're kind of playing with, with house call, with house money, right, like, there's there's nothing really wrong with th- losing a couple of games if, if you're trying to ensure your players get back uh, 100%, which, which brings me to our next topic, um, James Harden, uh, okay, so if you guys aren't familiar, two weeks ago he kind of had a hard fall in Denver and uh, he sprained his wrist and it's it's been bothering him for a while now. Uh, the Rockets have been trying to make it make do without his uh, incredible scoring, but his shooting has just been way off. It's, it's his left hand, so it affects everything. And um, there's been this ongoing debate as to whether or not the Rockets should rest him and honestly, I'm not sure where I stand on this. Like, like, I'm I'm definitely a pro rest guy, and like, if I believe every bit of the science, like all all the data, everything in it, like it, it's just smart to rest uh, when you're when you have a lot of miles on you. And James Harden's one of those guys that plays 38 minutes every year, and it just makes a lot of sense to rest him when when you're not going to go anywhere, right? But at the same time, these guys want to play, so you have to find that kind of tough balance, right? Like, and you know, James Harden's obviously a huge candidate for the MVP this year, so he wants to go after that. And you know, I just think I, I don't know why the Rockets would come out publicly and denounce resting. It's kind of weird as an organization. Like, I'm not sure if you ever felt this way. Like, the Rockets, like Daryl Morey's like the head of the Sloan Conference, and they don't seem that they they're very invested in analytics. But they don't seem as invested in the sports science aspect of it, which is kind of weird because, like, like you'd think they would, right? Because if you go to the Sloan Conference, I mean, they're t- they have all these cool gadgets about measuring your heart heart rate, your heart rates, and like you know your alcohol levels, like all, all that cool stuff, right? Like, and the amount of sleep you get, like, there's all this stuff involved in sports science, and I just don't think the Rockets pay too much attention to it, like, and like it it reflects in the amount of minutes Harden plays. Uh, the amount of injuries the Rockets get over the years. I mean, the Rockets aren't the healthiest team in the NBA. I don't think that's a secret. Um, 
maybe this year this year they've been pretty fortunate but i just find it pretty good yeah yeah this year they've been pretty fortunate but in general they're just kind of a they're they're not they don't have the best injury luck and this organization i just find it a little bit strange that that they don't emphasize rest and they emphasize everything else that comes with analytics well i think that probably has as much to do with personnel as anything else right like my impression is that it's really more uh the players who are sitting at home regarding this stuff like Patrick Beverly was a, a big, you know, he's a, a fountain of uh, hating rest. And he's kind of the spiritual center of the team. So I kind of think I, as as James and Patrick go, as go the Rockets, uh, probably if Daryl Morey had his druthers, they would go ahead and give him a rest. Unless, unless there's like a deeper game being played. I mean, it's, there is a good chance that some folks in the organization realize that the Rockets are probably not going to win the championship this year. That is a, <laughs> it is a long shot. I mean, it's not the longest shot. They have, they have like a better chance than almost everybody else. It's just that, you know, <laughs> the Warriors have the lion's share of all the chances. So, so, so where do you stand on this Harden thing? Like, like, are you someone who says, who, who's concerned about this? Like, I'm not as concerned because of the quotes that, that the Rockets are coming out with. Like, they're saying that the training staff is telling uh, him that, you know, it can't get any worse. But at the same time, like, the, like there is that thought, that creeping, that, like, like you, you, you're right next to the playoffs, right? Like, the, the season ends in, like, five minutes. You, there's no reason to kind of take any unnecessary risk on this. But at the same time, you kind of want hard to get the MVP, right? Like, I'm, I'm really conflicted on this. But I, I'm well, not sure where I stand on this. Where, where do you stand on this? Yeah, it depends on it depends on some things we can't know, honestly, which is kind of where I stand. That like I don't really have a stance because I am not a doctor and not in that locker exactly. room. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah, like like it if if indeed it can't really get any worse, could it get better if he rested? And that's the big question. Like, would resting make this heal faster? If so, he should probably rest. But also, you have to balance that against the potential demerits to his MVP campaign, which is anything but certain right now. Uh, so it's 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 kind of a complicated mess, and I don't really fault them for doing whatever they're doing, uh, unless like there's very clear information that this is a terrible idea health wise. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if 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 we were to see documents from the team that were like, Oh look, he really should be resting and it would heal a lot faster, but he's not particularly making it worse Then yeah, this is a bad idea. But if it's just kind of going to heal at the speed that it heals and it's not really making a big, making a huge difference either way, then I guess let him do what he wants in the end that you got to let him do whatever he wants. Anyway, there's not much, there's not much to be done about it. He's the star of the team. Yeah, it doesn't help when Draymond Green's punching your wrist, right? Like, I feel like that that can't be good for your wrist. Um. Yeah. That was that, the whole thing was so weird. And then the press conference afterwards, he was complaining that James Harden was like pinching one stomach, <laughs> and he didn't even and he and he copped to it too. He he was like, "Yeah, I hit him on the wrist." <laughs> well, what I find like the best part of that press conference is like Draymond Green called some an NBA player adolescent. Like Draymond Green, out of all the out of all players in the NBA, like. This guy is calling. This guy has the balls to call someone adolescent. Like this, like the guy who screams and like yells and flexes after layups and blocks and big plays. The guy who kicks people in the <laughs> like. This is the guy that's calling people adolescent. Like I just found, I just found that whole thing fascinating. Like, I mean, that's like the least surprising person to call people adolescent. <laughs> <laughs> it's always projection, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so the Rockets played some games this week, uh, and. They Unfortunately, lost the, they did, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're on a three-game losing streak. Uh, they lost to the Warriors twice and the, the Blazers once. Are you worried? Like, And I realize that's kind of a loaded question because we're so close to the playoffs. And like, 
and we kind of have a pretty good idea what this team is. Um, but th- there's this tendency with the fan base that like, and and I pointed this out on Twitter, like last year scarred this fan base for life, man. Like, like, like they're, they do like the smallest sign of trouble. Like they'll crawl up into a ball and they'll start panicking. <laughs> like, and it, it, I just find it like, it's so amusing. Like, like when the Rockets lose a game to the golden state warriors, like the best team in the NBA by a mile, like they start, pan- I don't, I don't understand the, the panic in this. And like, a competitive Portland Trailblazers, which is you know they're thirteen and three since um, since March twenty eighth. I mean since February twenty eighth. Like I I don't understand the panic, but at the same time, like you kind of want to get into rhythm going into playoffs. I, I do think that's a valid argument there. Uh, yeah, I mean I I am a funny person to talk to at this because I am a I'm a big fan of always hitting the panic button, <laughs> rather rather the fatalism button. Like I, I think the Rockets are going to have a pretty hard time in the playoffs, but everyone is really. Uh, I don't feel any worse about them. I feel the same way about them. I've always felt that I think that they're extremely good and they're a title contender, and that they're also com- completely doomed. <laughs> so, I have a little bit of a hot take. Um, I kind of felt better after these matchups with the Warriors, and I'm not sure if you felt the same way. Like, I, I'm not as scared of the Warriors as I was like two months ago. And uh, it's it's not it has nothing to do with the Warriors. It has to do with the way the, the circumstances surrounding those games. So Ryan Anderson's injured, obviously. The Rockets shot poorly from uh, from the three point line in both games. Uh, Harden's not one hundred percent, and they were still in the game. Like they were within a ten point margin throughout the throughout both games. And obviously, KD's not back, and that yeah, that's they a, were up during most of that last one. Yeah, 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 and, and like. I feel a lot better about the Rockets' chances facing the Warriors. Now, I'm not saying I want to play them in the second round or anything, but like I feel like like they have a long shot. They have like a 10 or 20 percent chance of winning a series against this team, and like a lot of this depends on making your shots, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's what the whole playoffs are going to come down to for them. Uh, I think that they are the only team, or they they at least are the only team that has like a plausible shot of beating the Warriors, apart from maybe the Spurs. I don't think anybody else even has like a little bit of a shot at it because the Rockets might just shoot pretty well. They don't even have to shoot super well; just shoot pretty well for four games, just shoot like a little above average, and then they can win that series. It's not super likely, like you said, it's probably about ten or twenty percent, but that's a real percent. Meanwhile. If they don't shoot well, they could lose any series to anybody, and that's kind of worrying. That's kind of where I'm at. That like I think they have a really high ceiling, but also a really low floor, and I'd prefer that to them just being pretty good. Well, I disagree a little bit because I do think they they, they do a good job of getting into the paint and scoring around there. Um, and like the Rockets, I mean, if you if you look at the metrics, they're pretty up there in in, in paint points and like uh, field goal percentage within the paint. And I just I just think like. Yeah, like when the, their absolute ceiling is reached when they hit when they hit their threes, but I think they can at their floor. Like I still think they can get get out of the first round if they're missing the shots, right? Like I still think they're good enough talent alone to get out of the first round. Mm, maybe I mean I think that they they have less leeway. I think the people think they do. Like if they shoot like twenty five percent from three for a series, they're screwed. And I think some some teams are not in that situation. Uh, they they have uh, some good talent, but they only have one star player really. Uh, so they only have like, I mean, it's he's a really big get out of free card, but they only have the one get out of free card. And I think that really you'd like to have more than that. I mean, no one else does either. But you know, in, on the off chance that Russell Westbrook and the the Thunder just shoot incredibly well for four out of seven games, you get some real trouble there. So 
Uh, I don't think it's likely, but it is a real possibility. Yeah, it's very much an off chance that they lose that series because, like, obviously, like, like this is why we play. This is, this is why we like seven game series, right? They eliminate the chance of upsets, right? And like, I, I, that's why I kind of feel like I'm pretty confident. Like, I just out of a seven game, I, I have a really hard time buying, like, especially the way they played against this Thunder team recently. I have a hard time buying that they're much of a threat. Now, at the same time, they did shoot really, really hot against the Thunder uh, the last time they faced off last Sunday. But, like, I, in general, like, I, I just have a level of confidence that I didn't have at the beginning of the season. But let's get into some other stuff, some fun stuff. So, um, James Harden's MVP, how are you feeling about it now uh, as compared to, like, a week ago? Like, are you on the fritz? Are you less confident? Are you more confident? Like, where do you stand on that? Um, there's a lot of talk about, like, this one's going down to the wire. Whoever has the last big game is going to win it. I kind of don't think that's true. Honestly, I kind of feel like the MVP has been decided for a while. We just don't know how it's been decided. Uh, the signs, like, I think it usually is in most years that by around, like, January, February, we kind of know who's going to be the MVP, and it doesn't really change very much. Uh, and, like, at this point, it's so late that missing games probably isn't even going to matter anyway. Uh, I don't think it's easy to know who has been ahead this whole time, though. It seems like it's probably Harden. That's kind of the impression that one gets from listening to people in the know. But uh, so whatever it is, it already has been, I think. So I'm not too worried about it either way. I mean, worst case scenario, he doesn't win the MVP. So I think we'll be all right. Here's my stance on this. Uh, last week, uh, Ben DuBose, uh, of the host of Locked on Rockets, he brought me on to his podcast and he asked me, like, am I a, l- a little bit more confident than I was before? And I'm like, yeah, I, I think... I kind of think Harden's going to win the MVP. And I still lean that way. But, like, my confidence level from last week has, has waned a little bit. Uh, and that's because of uh, the the crazy stuff Russ has been doing, right? Um, and I feel like, like, down the stretch, I do think in this kind of MVP race, this kind of stuff matters a little bit. Like, for the undecided voters, right? Because I still think those guys exist, right? Like, if you're on the fritz and you're going to lean towards Harden, but you see Russ... Westbrook making a like a run at 50 games like that's still on the table for them right like the Thunder could still win 51 games if they win out the rest of their schedule and their schedule is not that hard so they're still very much in line I mean they could still win 50 games I'm sorry not 51 they could still win 50 games if they went out right and so that's pretty much still on the table um and if if the Thunder are like the sixth seed with with 50 wins and Westbrook put up the numbers he he did I mean it I think that matters now whether or not um, it matters enough to shift the the tide, like because I do think the tide's in Harden's favor. I don't know. Like I still think Harden's the MVP. Like I think Harden's been more efficient. I think the team wins do matter. Historically, the voters have have preferred uh, the MVP come from a winning team uh, from a two or three seed. And I think the Rockets are just that. You know, like the perfect combination of winning. Like they're not winning at like a Kawhi Leonard type of level. But they're winning above LeBron and, and Westbrook, right? And they're the, the, just the right amount of absurd stats. Like Harden's not putting up like Westbrook triple doubles, but he's like one one point eight rebounds away, and he has better efficiency. So I think I think that kind of stuff does matter. Yeah, uh, and I think this. I think really what's happening is this is almost a replay of twenty fourteen fifteen, uh, except that James Harden is in the Steph Curry role and then Russell Westbrook is in the James Harden role. 
Yeah. Like I do think that wins are going to matter, and even th- even the third seed with like mid fifties wins is pretty low for an MVP. It's just that there's really not anybody credible except for Kawhi on the higher win teams, like. Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Like Steph Curry is clearly not the most valuable player on on the Warriors. At least he hasn't been for most of the season. It was Kevin Durant for most of the season, and now Kevin Durant has missed too many games. So I don't think you can really give it to either one of those guys. Uh, Russell Westbrook is not winning enough games, and uh, LeBron is winning fewer games than the Rockets are, and also his team has been very disappointing for a while. So I kind of think that's about it like i think that it's going to go to james harden because you it's going to be really hard to convince people that they should vote for a guy who wins like 50 or fewer games yeah that said uh russell westbrook will probably win the players mvp (laughs) yeah that's weird right there's a weird dichotomy with where the media is very much uh in harden's camp and the the players and former players specifically are very much in Westbrook's camp because they can't get over that whole triple double thing. And um, yeah, let me ask you something before. It's like, does the whole like help thing like frustrate you a little bit? Like the the, the fact that Harden like has like no all stars on his team, but like everybody's like talking about how they're superstar, how how like Harden has like this amazing help. Like, does that bother you? Especially the narrative going into the season where the the Rockets weren't predicted to be that this good and like i just feel like just because the rockets performed this well it's kind of working against harden a little bit yeah i mean so here the the take i have on that is not one that you're (laughs) that many people perhaps you are not likely to like which is that uh i think that this it's kind of a, a bad argument and i think that it was a bad argument when houston fans are making it in 2014 15 also no i agree with you i like yeah I've made a, a a pretty shift. Like I've made a pretty big shift in the way I th- I thought about the twenty fourteen fifteen MVP. And I tweeted about this last week. Like I think I think Steph was deserving of that twenty fourteen fifteen MVP. And the more and more I, I argue on Harden's side, I kind of feel like, yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think the voters got it right. And like yeah, yeah, and I, I yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not against that. But go ahead. Yeah. So uh, so I don't think you should penalize a guy for having good fit. And to some degree, that's what's happening, right? Like, I don't think that the Rockets players are really that much more talented than the Thunder players. Like, sure, I'll accept that they're a bit more talented. Why not? But I I don't think it's a huge difference. I think it's mostly fit, which is making a difference here. And, you know, I like, why, why should we reward someone for being a strong enough square peg to jam into that round hole? Like, that's cool, I guess, but isn't it better to be the correct peg for the right hole and then just make, you know, help, help your whole team succeed? Team success does need to be present to some degree. Uh, and I think that you do need to uh, have the element of what they call making your teammates better, which really just means putting yourself and your team in a position to succeed. Like, I don't think you can just, like, make your other dudes better, like, in a very direct way, which you will act like you can. But, yeah, see, uh, Harden is helping his team in a more effective way than Russ is, even though what Russ is doing is sort of more striking and intense. Like, his clutch numbers are insane. Russ seems to have some kind of access to an otherworldly fountain of power that he can only, you know, that he only draws from when he absolutely has to, but, and that's incredible. Uh, He's totally a valid MVP candidate, but I think that James Harden has done more to make his team bet good because they're winning more games. That's a pretty good argument for it. Yeah, and I I want to point something out. Like, if if you're a Russ voter and you're making that clutch time like 
like vote like if you're making that clutch time argument about his stats I want you to go uh, to go on NBA.com and I want you to go look up Harden's clutch stats from 2014-15 because he was so freaking good in the clutch and like a lot of people forget about that and that wasn't a big argument when when Harden uh, lost the MVP like that and like I feel like if you're gonna vote Westbrook just based off that like you kind of you're kind of being a hypocrite in that aspect and I know that's strong but I just I just feel like the the what what you said was a good point like making your teammates better and like i know he's he he's not like you can't you can't give Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon more talent right but like like in the sense that they're having career years and like we weren't talking about Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon being so much help for Anthony Davis in New Orleans 2 years ago right like like the whole argument uh, was that Anthony Davis needs more help like this isn't enough and yet Harden's making just do with that and making them so much better and making them like real legitimate like we're talking about Ryan Anderson being like the second most irreplaceable player on the Rockets like that wasn't happening in New Orleans two years ago right and I, just, I think that's important and I think I think Harden's the reason for that I, I think the Rockets are um, Harden makes the Rockets go and not the other way around Right, and I think I think that's probably what I would say to a Russ voter. Right, like it's Harden's not having this insane season because because his teammates are so good. He's having his his teammates are having like his teammates are so good because he's having this insane season. And that's and that's kind of the argument I would make. But yeah, I I, I do think he, he's gonna end up winning it. Uh, I'm not overly concerned. Um, a lot of times that t- Twitter acts like a like an echo chamber and like after these insane rust nights like everybody starts to, starts to like stand out over rust and it seems like like you know he's he's going to win the MVP but in reality like it's just like a couple of loud people and like like uh, these guys running these social media accounts that love rust like that it's you'd be surprised at like how, how different like the 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 national narrative is from uh the collective voters narrative because like these voters take these uh ballots a lot differently than uh other than these national guys are yeah for sure uh and it, they're always kind of a wild card too i don't the people that vote on mvp is a, such a like a random assortment of people i don't really get it but uh yeah i think that probably james Harden's going to win it even though a lot of people are going to be mad but no matter who wins people are going to be mad it it doesn't matter. Like if if Russell Westbrook fails to win it, people are going to say, "How could you not give the triple double man an MVP?" Uh, if James Harden doesn't win it, people will say, "How could you give this guy MVP when he's lost so many more games in the Rockets?" It doesn't matter what happens. Everyone's going to think everyone's stupid. So we should just go ahead and uh, wait out until July. When <laughs> how, when is the, yeah, August the- next next? February when's the MVP getting announced this is so ridiculous like like I, I hate the way they're like like the MVP ceremony was like there was nothing wrong with it like I love the way it was done before like get your get your guy on a podium have your teammates and your coaching staff surround him and let let him say a speech like that was so nice it was so simple but now the the NBA wants to do this elaborate award show um, after the postseason, which I I just think is going to make a lot of people mad. Like after LeBron has an insane Finals performance, and like everybody's arguing about how oh he should have won the MVP. That's when you're going to give Harden the MVP, right? Like it like it, it it's it's so ludicrous. Like this is a regular season award, and you're going to do this after the postseason, and it's going to look really bad. Like and I and like I just think it's going to make a lot of people angry unnecessarily, and and like. I, there was nothing wrong with the old system. Like there was nothing. Like I don't get why we have to fix a problem that wasn't there. 
Yeah, I think they just wanted something to go in the middle of the year during like the dead time, like in in the post the post draft area. Uh, but yeah, this is gonna be so boring to wait for it. Except we probably won't. I mean, it'll probably just get leaked. Who won everything in the meantime, which will make the whole thing just pointless. Yeah, well, Wadge better come through. Like well, Wadge better come through with the leak. Like like the minute like we find the voters submit their ballots, like I, I feel like he, I feel like he'll get the scoop. I, I I'm pretty confident that somebody uh, like that is gonna get the scoop on this, like Sam Amick or somebody, and we won't have to wait that long. But still, like the fact that we have to wait for the ceremony, like I. Ah, it, it's it's really yeah. it really bums me out. Well, the, the weird thing is that I think that they might be pretty strict about not leaking this because it really would ruin. Like if the if the awards are already known, the award ceremony is pretty meaningless, right? Like, what's yeah. the point of even watching it? Uh, so they're probably gonna be really strict about it. Like, and, and we actually might see some lesser people, some like lesser known dudes, be the ones that leak it out because someone like Woj is probably not going to want to risk a lot of his access. Uh, for the sake of getting out a pretty big leak. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this. Either we're going to have a pointless ceremony or we're going to be really annoyed and, like, bored for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. It's, 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 it's frustrating. Um, also, another point that I forgot to make, I think Kawhi uh, and LeBron getting votes is actually going to help Harden more than it helps Westbrook, and I, and that's kind of why I'm pretty confident about this. Like, if, if, if Kawhi is number one on on someone's ballot they're more likely to vote harden number two than westbrook because they value winning that much and i I think that works in harden's favor a lot so like i I think if if you're a rockets fan you kind of have to hope that like Kawhi gets some buzz towards the end uh because that's that's only gonna it's only gonna increase harden's chance to win the award but yeah we talked too much about something that's not even gonna happen yet um let's get into something that um also isn't gonna happen yet coach of the year um i think this I think Mike D'Antoni has his award locked up. Um, and like uh, to preface this, this is coming off an article that Taylor Pate, a uh, writer for our site, wrote for. He gave he outlined a, a, a really great case for Mike D'Antoni winning the award. And I, can, I just think like the buzz around Mike D'Antoni winning the award is stronger than any other any other coach winning the award. Like I, I think this, like I guess Eric Spolstra kind of gained some momentum towards the end of the season. But I, I think I think D'Antoni's going to run away with this. Yeah, I think so. Uh, like you said, Eric Svolstra has a really good case, and Popovich always has an extremely good case. And in fact, I think Popovich's case is, as always, better than people think it is. Uh, I think that Spurs team is oh, yeah. a lot more coaching than people realize. Like, they should not be that good with that personnel. I mean, even with Kawhi, who is a legit MVP candidate, like a top-five player, they shouldn't be that good. Uh, so the, you have to give Popovich a ton of credit. And he, he's they, like the they have, of coach of the year. They have one of the best defenses in the NBA with Pal Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Tony Parker starting. Like that's he should get the he should get like half of the award because of that. Like that, that that's pretty like I I did not think the Spurs would be this good defensively this year. And they just managed to do this every single year. They might they managed to pull out these sixty win seasons out of their ass every single year and they just um and they end up underperforming in the postseason. But I just I just think like like the reason they're this they're this good is because of the institutional knowledge that Pop brings to them. Yeah, uh, he's definitely a deserving candidate, but I don't think he's going to win it. Much like LeBron doesn't end up winning it, even though he's the best player in the league, uh, Pop doesn't win it despite not despite being the best coach in the league. Like I think context is going to matter. Usually, like Coach of the Year award honestly means typically uh, best above expectations coach. 
Uh, so I think D'Antoni is absolutely the highest of expectations of all the coaches out there. So I don't think there's honestly much of a chance he'll lose it. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. Like this award is basically okay. We were wrong about your team, so we're gonna give you guys an award for it. Like that, <laughs> that's basically how this award's gone. And then, and then we're gonna raise the expectation so high that you're gonna get fired next year because uh, your team your team comes out of the gates like like not as good as you thought they were gonna be. Right? That's generally the way this award yeah. works. <laughs> like and like. Yeah, this this award is kind of strange, right? Like, is it? I, I generally like you think that you think this would go to the best coach in the NBA, but it's really the best coaching job, and um, I guess the best coaching job is overperforming your talent, right? And that's kind of the way the 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 voters have described it. And I think Mike D'Antoni has kind of overperformed his talent. Like, I like they're one of the best offenses of all time, and I I just I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, they all the only like superstar talent on the team is James Harden and they managed to make this insane offense out of just having surrounding him with shooters and pick and roll big men and I think Mike D'Antoni deserves a lot of credit for it especially because Rockets fans and like media in Houston were so skeptical about the hire like I was skeptical about the hire oh for sure I was too I, I thought it was a horrible idea yeah and like in hindsight it's kind of the perfect hire like cause I mean like James Harden's unprompted telling people in interviews like he's my best friend. Like and I'd never imagined James Harden would ever say that about a coach. And like um I think just because of that like that's the Rockets absolutely nailed this hire out of the park and and I just I just find it fascinating where we are from where we were four, 6 months ago because Mike D'Antoni gets hired and there's this huge uproar about like okay did, did, did Leslie Alexander make this hire or did, did Daryl Moore make this hire? And now because uh because the hires worked out, I think I think we're gonna implicitly give some of the credit to Daryl Morey, <laughs> and, um, yeah. and I I just think like that reflects really well on D'Antoni and like the ability to come in right away and establish a rapport with your superstar I think is really powerful, and like I I remember when I was when I was writing a column about like who the Rockets should hire this summer, um, I wrote something along the lines of they should go into every meeting. And look for their Greg Popovich from James Harden. They should look for their their Rick Carlisle, their Greg Pop. They need to find the guy that's James Harden's last coach. And I think yeah. they, I think that's kind. They kind of did that. Yeah, uh, and I've kind of talked about this before. That it, this hopefully is her last his last coach. Uh, I think that he's meshed with James Harden and with Les Alexander and with Daryl Morey in a really important way. Having all having your owner, GM, superstar, and coach all on the same page is so important that it's probably worth anything else. Yeah. Like I think I like I don't even worry about the other consequences because with this you can ha- keep having bites at the apple like the Spurs do. That's kind of what you want, right? Like you want that organizational um I guess what's the, what's the word for it? Um, like continuity and harmony, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harmony, right? You want that harmony between your front office, your coaching staff, and your and your uh, best player. And I I just think it works out really beautifully. And like the Spurs have that. Uh, I think the Heat have that. Like 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 the the Mavericks have that. Uh, although the Mavericks haven't had talent in a while, but like um like the best organizations have that kind of harmony, and it just works out well in the end because I think like. No matter what, like you, you're gonna like if you have that kind of harmony, like everybody's on the same page, and that's a huge part of being successful in the NBA. Because if you look at front offices like the Kings or the um, or the Suns, like they don't have that kind of harmony, right? And we kill them so much for 
not for being a mess. And the Rockets, like, they found a way to link two and two together. Like, Kevin McHale was an odd hire at the time when the Rockets brought him in. And now I kind of think, like, this is kind of... This is kind of the, the right guy, right? This is this is the kind of the guy the the Rockets really wanted, and they couldn't because he had a job back then, um, yeah. and, and like it's worked out like really well because like again, like he immediately came in and he sought out James Harden and said like I, I I'm gonna make you my point guard, and that was so big because like I think a lot of us like even myself like I thought. I thought it was kind of strange to to move at the point guard. I thought it wasn't gonna do anything, right? Like I thought you know he's already doing so much for the offense he's basically the point guard no he's not he's now he's bringing the ball up and that's such a simple change that's brought up like Harden's averaging three more assists per game this year than he did last year and I just think that's a direct like that's a direct result from hiring Mike D'Antoni and moving him to the point guard position and like that like that's worked out really really well yep uh, he's a shoe in for it which kind of it kind of scares me that he's a shoe in for it because they have absolute lock in Eric Gordon for six men of the year. They have a likely MVP in James Harden and they have a seemingly like very likely coach of the year. Can they win all three? And we've talked about this before. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know if these races are going to bump into each other or not. Yeah. And George was talking about this last time. Like the last team to do that, like to win all three awards was um, the 95, 96 Bulls. And I'm not sure if they can do, that's a hell of a feat, man. Like, I'm not sure if, if, if like, I think Eric Gordon's lost some steam in the six man of the year conversation. But I mean, if you're talking about the other awards races, like Harden's definitely a front runner. Mike D'Antoni's definitely the front runner. Um, and like, I I still think Eric Gordon is going to be towards the top of a lot of ballots this year, just because how good the Rockets are doing relative to the other six man of the year candidates. And I think if they can manage to pull it off, it's pretty great. Um, and I just want to talk about Mike D'Antoni's story real quick. Like, this is a guy that was written off for, like, a while. Like, this is a guy that, like, like the reason we were so skeptical about the hire is because of how poor he did in L.A. and, and New York. And um, part of that is, is his fault. Part of that is, is like, the crappy situation he was put in, right? Uh, like, he just didn't have, like, he he just didn't click well with Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony and Kobe Bryant. And, um, like, I just think it's, I just think, like, we, we kind of wrote this dude off. Like I remember, I was reading a, a column from 20, 2006, and um, this is by Mike Prada of SB Nation, and like he was ranking the top coaches in the NBA, and Mike D'Antoni was number six, or he was like number six or seven. He was like at the top of the list, right next to Jerry Sloan, Greg Popovich, Rick Rickall, and this kind of tells you how old the article was. But like, like he was right at the top of the list, and like his reputation just completely took a hit because he took these crappy jobs and. Part of that is his fault, right? Because like, I don't know why the hell he took that Lakers job. Um, and but like, you know, he 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 thought he could do something with it, and he was wrong. And that New York job, like, I think I think he's kind of innocent in that a little bit because he came in there with the expectation that he was going to coach Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and all these really really good role players, and he boosted the win total like pretty significantly in his first year, and like the same thing happened in LA, right? Like he brought them to a level of competence that they didn't have before. Like Nick Young was having career years under Mike D'Antoni. Like, and like, like that's pretty insane, right? Like, cause like, I just think like the best coaches can just do that. They, they can pull the best out of your role players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you remember when Lynn Sanity was happening, uh, that was how he wanted things to go. But the, you know, that, then that changed. Mellow came back and things were different. So, 
I don't know. I, th- I think he's a better coach than a lot of us are giving him credit for, but whether he's a good coach or not probably doesn't matter. He's in the situation where he can maximize himself, just like everybody else is in the Rockets right now. So lean into it. That's my feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and like again, like I just find it like like he was out of he was out of luck. Like, like I I don't think there were that many like situations that were um, that that many teams that were after him this summer. Like there were some there were some you know rumors about Washington possibly reaching out, but that ultimately didn't result in anything. And they, they ended up hiring Scott Brooks, which worked out really well for them. But like it, I don't think like if the Rockets didn't hire them, like, I think we might have seen the last of Mike D'Antoni in the NBA. And that's kind of scary because of how much he clearly had left in him, right? Like, like, <laughs> and like, yeah. uh, yeah, and like, I'm just, I feel really good for the guy because the guy, he's a good dude. Like, he's a really good interview. Um, he's, uh, by all indications, his players love him. Like, Patrick Beverly, oh, like, whenever he's asked about Mike D'Antoni, his eyes light up, like, because he's, he treats him like a real player. And like, I feel like, like that, when you instill that kind of converse, confidence in your guys, I think that that just results in a lot of good good favor for you going forward. Yep, this has been a very positive podcast. Given that the Rockets has lost three games in a row, but that's how this, <laughs> that's how the season has gone. So yeah, I mean, like this is kind of the low point of the season, and that kind of tells you how good the season's been. Like they they didn't lose three games in a row up until like this week, and they and the three games and two of them were, were the Warriors. Yeah. Yes, and two of them were the Warriors, and the other one was an eight seeded Portland Trailblazers. Like and, and like I just think like if you're a Rockets fan, like there's a lot of positive. Like like back off off the ledge. Like I I, I, I just find like like last season again. Like I keep going back to. This. I just find it hilarious how how panicky this fan base is like it's 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 funny like this like the rockets lose a game to like the timberwolves and everybody's like oh my god the the rock is actually a a real contender like like should we fire mike d'antoni like is uh is trevor reza done like like you get all these stupid questions come out after a loss because of last season like it's I'm not sure how long it's going to take to recover from that but it's it's funny the psychology of a fan base how that shifts so rapidly yeah, well, that's just part of the fan base identity now. I mean, though, if you look at, if you actually look at, like, Warriors fans and stuff, even they freak out over bad losses. I think it's just everybody kind of does it to some no, degree. But, 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 but even, but, like, the, uh, even but the, the Warriors... The Rockets like, are on a hair trigger, yes. But, but even with the Warriors, it, it's stemming from that 3-1 low, like, lead, right? Like, it's because of that that they always panic after bad losses. Before that, they were a perfectly normal fan base. Uh. Uh, they they were they used to be too, know, but man. they still would panic over bad losses. It's a, I think every fan base panics over bad loss a little bit. Like everyone's like, oh, how come my guys aren't good enough? Uh, just the Rockets do it more than other teams now, uh, <laughs> as far as fan bases go, because yeah. yes, uh, everybody's been kind of scarred from last season. Everyone's ready for the other shoe to drop, and it will drop in the playoffs, but it will drop <laughs> in probably a reasonable fashion. And we were talking about this earlier this season, right? Like I, I th- and. Th- like this whole mentally scarred thing, like this doesn't just result in the fan base. This results to us too, right? Like, like we were, we were talking about this earlier. Like, like we, we we thought the rocket this was too good to be true. Like, and like we were doing podcasts in like mid January, like no, not mid mid December, where the Rockets were like on a nine game winning streaks, and we're like, like th- this is gonna this is gonna stop, right? They're gonna they're gonna stop winning at some point. Like, and like it just never happened. They just kept on, and I think it's pretty crazy. And and like, I don't know. Like I I I think I think it's it's pretty fascinating how the psychology of fan base works out like that. I get, I think it's like yeah. There's a column there for like some someone way smarter than me to write. Like it's like 
the unique circumstances that surrounds like how a fan base thinks about themselves. Yeah, uh, we'll have to dip into some of our free Darko well and do that sometime. <laughs> so, okay, so subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, give us a good rating on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast. If you didn't enjoy the podcast, give us a good rating anyways, because that really helps people find the show. And uh, quite frankly, I don't care if you didn't enjoy the podcast. Give us a good rating anyways. <laughs> and yeah, guys, good night. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.